if I were to do it all over again, I would not do it the same way I did it. And it's because I now learned, no matter how thoughtful and dedicated you are to being well-educated about things, you lose a lot of your own rational thinking when you become a parent. Welcome to Big Little Choices. I'm Shree, and this show is about the amazing women and moms that all of us are surrounded with. Each episode will feature a woman that I admire and someone who has made a bold and unconventional choice because it's what's best for her and her family. This show is also about building community so you can hear stories that make you feel inspired and empowered to make choices that are right for you. I hope you enjoy the show. If you've listened to some of my previous episodes, you've probably heard my guests talk about choosing not to have kids or choosing to quit exciting careers in order to stay at home with their kids. And all these choices were made so these women could live the lives that they truly desired. But what if you desired something that would affect your own health and in fact aggravate an existing health condition? In this episode, you'll hear more from Ria. Ria grew up in a tight-knit immigrant family in Los Angeles. Happy childhood, great friends, and like many women, a desire to start her own family someday. You know, I probably could have told you at different stages of my life that changed distinctively. As a child, you know, you play house, you want to be a mom, you want a baby, and you just really embrace it. In your teens, you just want to get married, and in your 20s, you just want to find the right husband, and then I very much grew up, I think, like many people who thought when you wanted to have a baby, you just had a baby. Like, I am ready now, so I will have my baby now. You don't have any consciousness of, like, the challenges of becoming a parent when you're young. And I don't think that hits you until you're older and you realize not everybody, the stork doesn't just show up to everybody's house. And so for me, I always wanted to be married. I always wanted a partner in life and to have a husband that I loved very much. I think I didn't have a firm desire to become a mother until my late 20s, like in the sense of like, I don't even think I was ready to be a mom in my 20s, but the thought of parenting and motherhood didn't really start to like get in my mind until my late 20s. I I was always very career driven, very focused on, you know, you finish college, you get a great job and it's why we were in America. It's why we were doing all these things. So my focus was very much on like building myself as the person I wanted to be. And being a mom for the longest time wasn't a critical part of that equation until it became so much that I would care about becoming a mom more so than just about anything else. It was almost like a a flip switched one day in my late 20s. Ria met her now husband Kevin in her 20s at a small retail shop in LA. And for both these Southern California natives, moving away from their family or childhood friends, either for college or after, was never really a consideration. However, a few years after college, a friend of Rhea suggested she apply to a job in San Francisco. And although this was a big move, since neither of them had really lived anywhere else, it was something they both decided to do. However, there were some unexpected surprises at the start of this next chapter. Earlier in 2009, I had been um, dealing with an isolated incident with my vision that the doctors had originally considered could have been multiple sclerosis, which is a disease in which the immune system eats away at the protective coating of the nerves, allowing your body to become a lot more vulnerable to be exposed to ailments and conditions that happen when your nervous system is impacted. And I didn't know anything about MS. I was very naive at the time. And When they told me they didn't think it was MS, I closed that book as fast as I could, never looked back. It was a small incident, you know, scary for a short period of time. Let's move on. 
when the job offer from Facebook came in in October, I had prepared myself to move later that month and we were packing our home and I started having some very small symptoms in which if I would move my neck, I would feel a small buzzing in my back. And, you know, we were packing boxes. We thought for sure that I had injured myself and decided to go to the doctor just to have a second opinion and just double check. And that was the moment. Ultimately, three days before my moving trucks were arriving at my home, where they told me they were pretty confident that I had MS. And it was beyond shocking. It was a moment in time where I I felt it was so unfair. You know, this should have been the most exciting and, and fun time of our life. And here we were debating if we should even go. And what were the implications of that on a daily basis? I didn't even know. You know, at that time, I had very little symptom. I had some issues with my vision and some buzzing in my lower back caused by some um, inflammation in my cerebral spine nerve. And I thought I was so much more sick. Immediately, I felt like I was less capable and less skilled and, and nothing had changed who I was even 48 hours prior. If no one had told me anything, I would have kept on living like life hadn't changed. But your brain takes on a whole different approach to life when you think you are not as strong as you used to be. So how did life change? Truthfully, it was much harder from a mental burden than it was a physical burden. And by mental, I mean purely like emotional. I I, I think, you know, we did end up moving. We moved just as planned, as scheduled. We ended up going to another doctor in the Bay Area, and he did confirm the diagnosis as well. And, you know, I started my new job, and we lived in the Bay Area. And I, I can say without a doubt, for six months, I carried the weight of the world on my shoulders. I felt obsessed with learning about my condition, obsessed with learning about treatments. Uh, I, I could barely focus on anything but keeping up in my new job and then surviving. And I had a few really kind people in my life tell me like, just about six months in, you will wake up from this nightmare and it'll be your new life, your reality, but it'll not be the burden that you think it is. And almost to the week, they were pretty spot on with when I started to feel like I was emerging out of the fog. So how did this impact any previous decisions you made for yourself? Clearly it didn't affect your work. You still made the move from LA to San Francisco. You started that exciting job, but were there other things that you had to reconsider once you uh, were told this diagnosis? Absolutely. You know, six months after my diagnosis, I realized very quickly that my life for the most part would stay pretty normal. There were definitely things that I would have been driven to do that I stopped considering. I, you know, we were lucky to join a company that was really young and expanding globally, and I never considered living abroad. It just felt like I needed to be near a certain level of medical care and comfort that was important to my uh, peace of mind, but also very much becoming a parent. You know, I was diagnosed in my 20s. I was 27. No parts of ready to become a parent or be a mom. But that became from like, I'm not ready now to like, I don't know if we're ever going to do this. And it very much became a, um, a maybe rather than a one day. So at what point then, in the middle of all of this, did you switch from maybe we'll have a kid to yes, one day we will have a kid? I'll never forget it. We were in Hawaii and Kevin and I, we were at a wedding in Kauai. It was such a lovely trip. And 
We spent a lot of time talking about becoming parents, talking about adoption, and Kevin had a moment、um, where he was just like, "I just really, really want to be a dad, and I don't want it to be a maybe. I for sure would like to be a father." And I felt that I felt that come through so clearly. I'll never forget it. And I bring up that to him a lot now. I'll be like, "Do you remember that moment where you were like, 'I don't want this to be a possibility. I want to do whatever we can to make sure I get to be a father.'" And I think right around probably thirty-two years old, so five years after the diagnosis, was when we decided that we were going to collectively take this by the reins. And at the time, I was taking a fairly aggressive. Therapy for somebody who didn't feel like they were having a lot of symptoms. My neurologist was incredibly progressive and put me on a drug that he felt was the most cutting edge at the time, but it was absolutely not permitted to become pregnant while on this medication. It was a the class of medication that was just simply a no go. It's not safe to be a mother. It's not safe to to carry a child, nor is it safe to nurse. And we just sort of assumed for a lot of reasons. Well. If we can't have a child while on this drug, we will adopt. So we began the adoption process by exploring agencies, learning more about them, attending seminars and domestic open adoption, international adoption. We we went to events for everything, and then casually at a neurology neurology checkup, I happened to ask my my doctor happened to ask how I was doing, and I mentioned to him, "Oh, Kevin and I have been going to adoption events." He's like. You know, if you want, you can stop the drugs and get pregnant. And I, I was dumbfounded. Kevin was not at this appointment with me. I'm sure he would have been like, "I'm sorry, what?" You know, he would have been, "Where was this a year ago?" And I think my doctor was thinking, "Listen, I don't want you to stop the drugs, but if you can get pregnant within six months of stopping the medication, I think it'll be fine for you to carry a baby and and deliver it." And at that time, I had so many friends who were struggling to get pregnant. I was like, six months. You're a doctor. You know that's not how it works. And I got pregnant in two months. So I was just so blessed to have that window of opportunity to get pregnant, and even more so blessed to be able to actually、um, get pregnant in a reasonable amount of time. So, what was your thought process like leading up to that decision? You know, I want to tell you that it was a lot of deep conversations, but it was none. We were like, "Let's go." My parents, Kevin, everybody who、That's、I spoke、great. to, and said, "Like, I think we have a chance to be able to have a baby on our own." It was genuinely no question. You know, it should have been a little bit more debate, considering the magnitude of something like stopping an important medication that, you know, prevents disease progression, is what I was doing at the time, and、um, we had maybe. One second of mental debate before we were like, "Yes, let's go." Ria had a pretty straightforward pregnancy and a fairly complicated delivery, which was unrelated to her condition. But the hardest part was yet to come, where Ria had to find a balance between taking care of herself and taking care of her son Kai. And this is something that a lot of new mothers struggle with, feeling like we have to do what is expected of us or what we feel compelled to do, and we often build this narrative in our heads of having no choice but to do things in a certain way. And in Ria's case, there was also a fairly serious health implication that came along with not making certain choices. I lost all sanity after my son was born because I decided that if I did not breastfeed for twelve months, that I had collectively failed him in all in all ways of being a mother. Despite the fact that he was a happy, thriving, cute, chubby little baby, I was convinced that you know without the breast milk, the wheels would fall off. And so, I. Breastfed、um, 
thankfully he latched very easy i produced a lot of milk like i didn't have a lot of the challenge that's that so many moms have just to even pull off breastfeeding so because i didn't have those challenges i was convinced that this was my duty if i had had the challenges i would have been like whatever you know it happens but i had the milk and i mean and he latched so well it felt like it was like the only way to do it and so I was keen on breastfeeding for 12 months and it lasted about five months, um, mostly because about five months in was the first time that my MS really affected me um, with some of the decisions I had been making for being off the medication and being so tired. So how did you start feeling at that point? Kai wouldn't take a bottle. This was one of the interesting nuances of our challenge. Kevin is the most active and involved father I could ask to be married to. He cares so much about the baby and he would have done anything to help it wasn't like I didn't have the help. I just had a son who wouldn't take the help. He wouldn't drink from the bottle. So all the night wakings for this easy, sweet baby that woke three to five times a night felt exclusively on me. I pushed myself really hard for those five months. You know, I was so lucky to have that time off from work. So I was able to stay home with my son for five months before returning to work. But he was waking all night. So I was probably getting a total of three to five hours of broken sleep a night. And I think what happened as a result was my body took the toll. It's not uncommon for women who have MS to have some postpartum exacerbation um, related to either being off the medication or the hormones in your body adjusting. There's a lot of research that shows that when you are pregnant and have MS, you are really well protected from your disease. I think they're trying to figure out if it's, you know, the increased estrogen or what components of your body do provide this really sort of protective nature to a woman. Um, my obstetrician also very much believed that that carried over into the breastfeeding time. Like when you're nursing a baby, you're producing a lot of the similar hormones. And I, for the most part, was fine. And then one day, it was um, July, uh, I woke up and did not feel fine. I, my balance was off. I had noticed little things that week that I was bumping into things and just being a little extra clumsy. And then one morning I told Kevin, I said, something just simply isn't right. And it was, this is a little bit embarrassing to say, you know, here I was seven years after my diagnosis, but it was the first time where I was like, oh shit, I really do have MS. My neurologist was away at the time, and I never forget, I was like, why is this the time that you chose to be away? But I ended up seeing another neurologist who didn't know me as well and was like, what are you doing? He was like, you need to get back on your medication and get this child on a bottle and formula and sleep trained tomorrow. And I was like, all these things you said sound like another language to me because who does all that? Like my child doesn't sleep. That's just the way it is. You can't fix that. We basically became like a task force and we hired a bottle trainer and a sleep trainer and I went back on my meds 48 hours later. At any point in these first couple of months, did you feel like you either had to choose your health or you had to choose nursing your baby or choose giving your child 100% of your attention and care? Did you ever feel like you had to compromise on anything? No, because I wasn't looking at it that way. There was no choice in my mind. The only choice was giving my boy what I felt was the only option of exclusively breastfed and waking up with him at all hours of the night to do so. And you know, um, looking back, I probably should have thought about the fact that, hey, like you have a pretty serious health condition and you became a mom, like see a doctor, go do all the things you need to do. But we never missed a pediatrician appointment. 
we never missed an OB follow-up appointment, but God knows I didn't see a neurologist in those five months because it just, it wasn't, it wasn't my focal point of life anymore. And, you know, I'm very lucky to say it wasn't my focal point of life for the years after my diagnosis. I had lived a relatively, you know, light experience when it comes to having MS. I was really inspired and moved by Ria's story. We often second-guess our decisions and forget that when we first made them, we did so with whatever knowledge we had in hand at that time. And in Ria's case, her choice to put her medicines on hold and feed her baby the way she thought was best was the only option she then considered. And she's first to acknowledge that this is not the ideal choice for anyone, but just what she made given her desire to take the best possible care of her baby. We wrapped up our chat with some final words of wisdom on making choices that might not be ideal, but are the pathway to creating a life that you really want. I wouldn't do this again, but I don't feel bad for prioritizing my baby in that moment. What I realized is I I wasn't necessarily doing what was 100% best for my baby, even though it was, I was doing what I was told was best for my baby. And in that moment, I don't feel bad about being having a little bit of tunnel vision and not thinking as rationally, as clearly as I could have, because I felt so empowered and I had so much gratitude from even being able to take care of my son in that way, that the joy it brought me and the connection and the happiness it gave me in that moment was worth everything. What I don't necessarily think was the best way to do it is me not thinking that there was no other choice. You know, I think making a decision that's better for your baby above your own health is, I think, innately in a woman's nature. Like, we are born that way, and it's going to take a lot to convince us out of it. That's why I say a lot of this is pure hindsight and me realizing that I was being a little bit crazy at the time. But it was so, I have so much gratitude for those days and being able to fulfill what I considered my ideal in the moment. But I think like to your point earlier, there's nothing better than a healthy mom and a happy mom to provide your child the best life. So I think there's a balance there and I I didn't quite achieve the true balance until I was forced into it, but now it's given me a different perspective on life and, and being a mother and taking care of myself as well. Thank you for listening to this episode and I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back soon with another interview. And until then, if you have any feedback or comments on the kinds of choices you want to hear more about, let me know.